Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook, with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast coming to you as I'm recording this Sunday night. Most of you will be on your Monday already. So I'm going to do a short intro. You guys have heard me do longer intros uh, for quite a while. I just want to alert you on two things. First thing is our Tuesday morning show is going to be the return of of AEW heavyweight champion of the world, John Moxley. He's going to talk UFC 254 with me and Justin. We're going to talk mostly, we're going to talk a little bit about some, you know, UFC news and stuff too, but we're going to put that podcast up Tuesday morning. I hope you dig it based on the downloads. It does seem like uh, you guys are digging John Moxley talking to Justin and myself and the very next day, so Wednesday, and I know, I know I said I'm not going to really super uh, populate your feeds this week. It, next week, we'll have either two or, or, or three shows during the week. We won't have so many, I promise. Not that this content is a bad thing, because I think people really like it, but I also understand about being overwhelmed and feeling like you have to listen to everything. You don't even though I know that that's kind of a hard thing to think about, especially when you have all your other feeds and I'm saying you don't have to listen to everything, you you pick and choose. But I think both of these shows are going to be really cool for uh, for our Fight Game Podcast listeners. So Moxley on Tuesday morning and then on Wednesday morning, I still have to edit it. I have to clean it up. But I believe we will be able to post the uh, Keith Greenberg book club chat that I did with folks from the Fight Game Podcast Facebook group who got to ask Keith's questions. I, I sort of interviewed him while we were doing it, and then we would send it to questions, and then I'd come back with some more stuff. It is an interesting concept to me because I've never done a show like that before. Usually, you know, I, I have someone and we just go one on one, but being a host and then throwing it to people who want to ask a question and then we're in the zoom thing and you know you got to mute make sure everyone's muted except for the one person so it was actually a uh, a pretty cool deal i really appreciate it makes me appreciate even more my uh, stepdaughter's kindergarten teacher uh, miss ichimatsu who uh, has to do this with kindergartners every day thankfully we have such a great facebook group everyone was very thoughtful um, but we're going to do more of these. So this is kind of like the, you know, 
it, it, it was a real show. It was a real deal. I think everyone enjoyed it. But it was sort of our first experiment in doing something like this. And I thought it came off really well. So hopefully when I get in, into the editing bay and try and uh, make sure that it sounds okay, that it, it does come out. Uh, I thought Keith was awesome. Keith has a great story. He's done some great things as far as books and magazine writing and rock and roll writing. So, you know, that guy has lived uh, lived a life. So I think it'll come through in that podcast. I think you all enjoy it. So, but that's all for me. I'm going to um, send it to John and myself talking WCW Saturday night. And then after that is the very final G1 cast of 2020. The G1 is over. Uh, Kota Ibushi won the G1. He will challenge Tetsuya Naito at Wrestle Kingdom, as far as we know, unless something else happens. But I think that's the plan, as far as we know. So, uh, so yeah, Justin and Carlos and the New Japan statistician, Chris Samsa, they'll all talk about that show uh, to end this show. So, WCW Saturday Night with John and myself. Then you have Justin and Carlos with Chris Samsa wrapping up the G1. And also... I want to give one shout out, one kudos to Ryan Fantasia, who won our um, new uh, our G1 challenge. He picked Coda, and uh, Coda won, and and that was that the, because of the points and, and and the stuff that that we that we sort of figured out uh, our, our point system, which was brand new. And thanks again to Chris Sampson. Well, I think we'll do this again next year. Uh, Ryan Fantasia won the $50 gift card to uh, Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, Jeremy was was right in there. David Oakley was right in there. Uh, David Laval was in there, and he was, you know, ranking. Like, it, it was a lot of fun. A lot of people were super into it. Um, Nick McMood was was right there as well. I think I think it came down to actually the the tiebreaker uh, of the of the main event. Uh, because Nick and Ryan were both tied, so got to get your tiebreakers in. <laughs> you know all these all these matches. There were so many matches and so many blocks, and you know predictions, and and still we ended up with the tie. That was kind of nuts. But uh, anyway, shout out to Ryan. That gift card will be coming to you shortly from the Fight Game Podcast, sponsored by the Fight Game Podcast. So uh, yeah, let's just get let's get the show going. Uh, let's uh, throw it to myself and John LaRocca talking about WCW Saturday Night from October 17th, 1992. All right, John, we're only a couple weeks or a couple shows, a couple WCW Saturday Nights until Halloween Havoc 1992, which they are just hitting us over the head with consistently all show long. Uh, WCW Saturday Night for October 17th, 1992. Um, I, I thought, I didn't think the show was as good as the last show. Uh, there, something about some of these matches are just so long. Like, <laughs> the, um, you know, there, there are a lot of these matches, like, you know, Tony Atlas and Larry Santo, like, Atlas is showing off like he's doing stuff, but at some point I'm just begging for the finish. Like, I'm like, okay, this is like, it's, it's not like 
this is fantastic. It's just getting Tony over. But sometimes I'm waiting for these matches to end. They had a lot of long, like even even uh, Rick Rude had a, like a long sort of squash uh, where he did, he was able to take his his atomic drop so he could do his little cell on the atomic drop. But so for for a lot of it, I was like, okay, can like what what is the reason? Like, what is the reason for a lot of these long squashes that we're seeing? Um, yeah, Watts books. He he likes competitive quote-unquote squash matches he likes the the job guys for the most part unless he's building a monster like a barbarian right like he can go in there and just he wants those guys just he wants him to crush the guys building up to ron simmons but um you know uh he's always had competitive job guys most of his job guys he's used i mean he's had some stinkers as was like last week we had orion mm-hmm. poor, poor sting had a you know, got the short end of the stick when it came to who he's working with, I guess, job guys. But, um, you know, but usually he has quality job guys who come in there. They're decent workers. They're trained well. And in this show, we had a lot of them, actually. And um, so that's why I think uh, I think you're doing a little longer matches. Guys are giving more because they might respect the job guy more because they've worked with them before and made them look good in the past. So they gave him a little extra. So, All right. So let's look at the... Uh Let's look at the show here. So they begin the show with two young guys, Pillman and Shane Douglas. And Pillman went from white meat baby face to tremendous heel in such a short time. He was awesome in this match. Mm -hmm. Everything that he did from a heel perspective, almost to the point of where I was like, he's almost too good because Shane Douglas isn't as good of a baby face in some of this, uh, you know, going against him. I also thought the finish was really interesting, which is, uh, you know, P- the Pillman's showing this mean streak. He, he's not afraid to cheat. He doesn't think he's going to get caught. And then he just kind of blows his top, shoves Douglas into the ring post to get the DQ. And I was actually kind of surprised that it was a DQ because we see that happen like every show of wrestling today that we see, oh, yeah, hit random in the, More- into, into the ring post, just normal. Yeah. But here I was like, oh, shoot, that was a DQ in, in 1992. So that was kind of cool. But then at the same time, I was like, oh, man, he's really bullying him. And then they're outside and Shane Douglas does get that belly to belly to the concrete sort of as revenge on Brian to, to you know, to to make face, you know, so that he, he doesn't get completely demolished. So overall, what was good, I, I just don't know if Douglas stayed with Pillman as much as he needed to. No, Pimmel is a, is a is a level above, right? Yeah. But um, Douglas did good, even though he did openly call a spot out in the in this match. I was really disappointed to see that. But um, I know now we see it all the time. But like back then in '92, it wasn't as clear, right? We see. I mean, I mean, I know now by watching stuff. But like, you know, like I'm looking at just it's probably it was just so like out in the open that he called the spot. Um, and I thought this was a great match. I liked this match a lot. I liked the pacing. I thought, yeah, of course, Pillman was excellent. I thought, I thought Douglas was good. Um, yes, the post is a disqualification. And before it wasn't, but when Watts came there, he made it a disqualification, right? And which is good. Even now and today, I I, I see post and I think, oh, man, they're just doing a post to do a post. You know, like it doesn't mean anything. Doesn't lead into the match. Doesn't lead to a finish. Doesn't have any kind of, you know, just no one's really hurt from a post. Now it's like, you know, it should be. They that if you use it correctly, it could add some impact like here it was like well done i thought with one douglas took that post great um 
Pillman, the way he set it up, like the you know the grabs ahead, shows you know stops, makes gets the camera, make sure the camera sees him, has a handful of hair, and just drives him in the ring post. That was great. I love the officials running out. Is chaos. Um, job guys came out to help out, and then Pillman tries to run at Douglas, but he gets caught in the belly to belly, and they're both laid out. They're both hurting, so I think they both got over this match. I, I really liked it, and uh, it's a totally contrast to what I watched on NXT where. Damian Priest laid out. No one's coming out. So, Will Regan <laughs> came out, but he's more busy about, you know, mm-hmm. announcing the spin the wheel, make the deal match, which we're getting hit note ahead, not only Halloween Havoc on this episode, but we're getting hit now Halloween Havoc in NXT now. So, it's Halloween Havoc crazy right now. Yeah, almost to the point of where I was a little frustrated because they were, the, sh- the way the show was put together, you have this control center, which we already mentioned is on every show. Mm. And so when you see the control center and you see the interviews, you're like, okay, you knew this interview was on this show. Why did you have the same exact interview earlier with Pillman and and Wyndham? It's like almost the same thing. It's just a little bit longer. Like that I, that part was frustrating to me. Like they repeated the card again after they'd already done it. I was like, okay, like I know, like I'm watching this stupid show. I I get to see. You don't have to tell me three times that. You know, Ron Simmons is facing Barbarian. It's a hard sell, man. I don't think, I don't think well, tickets weren't really selling for the show. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm sure they were. I'm sure it wasn't. And then, um, you know, trying to get those, trying to get whatever buy rate they can get. Um, okay, so then we get the Eric Watts video package, which is the shortest video package you'll ever see. And it's literally him doing something every single wrestler does. Like, it's him loosening up or locking like there was nothing special about this video it's like why even show this eric watts is a young guy but if you're going to show a young guy how about we show him doing something cool instead of something every wrestler on this show does which is walk through the ropes come out for your thing like there was nothing to this to this little video package i don't even know why it was on there and um i like the uh i jokingly say this i like the uh upward camera shot like he's andre the giant like i know the guy's tall but like you know uh, you know the, the low angle shot of him in the sky in the background i just thought that was pretty funny um um yeah i know this it's you know they're trying with watts but uh i don't see you i thought you know you and i think that they're sort of trying but what made him stand out except his last name because mm-hmm. You know, you could go back, or we, you know, we could go back just a couple years. Uh, they did the same thing with Dustin, right? Oh, I think, but, but Dustin was seen more as a special prospect mm-hmm. than Eric Watts was. And then when you actually saw him, you're like, okay, like I get it. Like he, he's super tall, he's super quick. He, you know, he looks so natural in that ring. His name was the natural. And they bring in Eric Watts, and they try to you know how hard is Jr. selling us? Yeah, on his football career, on his amateur wrestling career, and then when you watch it, you're like, okay, this does not equate. Like Jr. must yeah. be lying to us. Yeah, he. I mean, he was never never Dustin Rose, but I also think Eric Ross is a bad. He's a bad rap of like, oh, they they shoved him down our throats. Like, I mean, he didn't really get title shots. You know, he was. Mostly in the mid car, he got time on TV. Sure, sure, sure enough. You know that's probably the only thing you can say. Maybe he didn't deserve that much time on TV, but like other than that, like was he really shoved down our throats? I don't think so. I mean, I didn't dislike him either. I you know I thought he was okay. You know, um, 
I get what they're trying to do. They, they, you know, Bill Watts is big on the athletics and the background, and he's you know, and Eric Watts, his son, does have a, a you know a, a quality collegiate background. And but yeah, I mean, I'm with you though. I think he's not Dustin Rhodes, but he wasn't he wasn't the worst wrestler in the world. He wasn't Nick Goulas or anything. It almost is like. He was. It's almost like he was forced into it. It's like him taking medicine because he doesn't even look like he's enjoying it at all. He just. I don't think he had the personality. Obviously, he doesn't have the personality of his dad. Though, if you remember, I don't know if do you remember that he was in WCW during like the Nitro days. Yeah, what team was he on? He was like on a tag team, right? Well, no, he was in WWF at the Techno Team 2000. That's what I'm thinking of. But like he showed up in WCW, like I want to say 98, 97. And he for some reason had these big old baggy pants, like these like almost like the uh, Z Cavaricci pants or something (laughs) something back in the day. But but, uh, but he was was good. He had personality. He had some unique moves, I remember. Like I'm like, wow, Eric Watts got good, but I just don't, he never got a. I think because of his name and how his dad treated a lot of people, I don't think he was ever given an opportunity, you know, to excel unless his dad was in charge, obviously. All right, so Z-Man and Robbie Walker versus Big Jim Bryant and Fred Avery, two big dudes in matching purple tights with, I don't know, there were some other colors in there. And uh, it's so it's Z-Man and Robbie Walker against these two big dudes. And Walker wins with a hammerlock roll-up. Is it a Molly Straw Cradle? Well, that, well, I'm just calling what JR called. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't realize he... Oh, sure, he's not going to call it the Molly Straw Cradle. Yeah. Okay. Um, Fred Avery and Big Jim Bryan are, were a tag team in Georgia um, on the Indies. So they were called the Pretty Young Things. Not the Coco Beware, Nova Austin, oh, wow. things, but they were the pretty on the, you know, just, just, you know, two big guys doing, you know, thinking they're great looking, you know, the easy, easy heat stuff. Uh, decent workers, though. I like Fred Avery, people probably remember the clip of Rick Steiner, German suplex, this really big guy on the top mm-hmm. of his dome. That's, that's Fred Avery. Mm. Um, so, but I was like Fred Avery and I was like this team. So um, it was cool to see him on. And it was going good until Bobby Walker got crossed up. And uh, I think he was supposed to. I think he was supposed to leapfrog. Jim Bryant was ducking down. He's supposed to leapfrog him, but then he just grabs him, and things get lost. Uh, Jim Bryant quickly tags, tags Fred Avery in, who's the veteran of the group, and they start doing something. And I think Walker does a move to Jim uh, to Fred Avery, but Fred, and he's about to pop up, but Fred Avery grabs him, and pulls him down, and cover me. <laughs> And then Z-Man gets in and kind of gets things back on track. And then, he, of course, you know, they're pushing Walker. They're trying to get him over. So he gets the win. And it was going good until that Walker gets messed up, which has been his his career. Like, if you watch a lot Mm -hmm. of Bob Walker matches, he messes up a lot in the ring. All right. We're going to talk about Indeed.com. And I know my company, uh, Nextdoor.com, we use Indeed. And I reached out... Uh, to one of my uh, one of my colleagues who also is on the recruiting staff, and I asked her. I said, "You know, you guys use it in, Indeed to to get candidates for us." And um, you know, she mentioned that uh, she really enjoyed using it. So, you know, I, I I was thinking of you know, I know we got to use it. So, 
unfortunately, we're not in the office together right now, but uh, reached out to my colleague. We'll call her MC Shan. And uh, she definitely uh, told me that uh, we do use it. We do enjoy it. So that's a real live kudos uh, to Indeed. And so for our listeners of the Fight Game Podcast and all of the, the Blue Wire Network, the Blue Wire Podcast Network podcast, right now we are offering, and Indeed is offering, our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. And try Indeed out with the free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. And now you know. Nextdoor.com uses Indeed. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. So end of the year. Now, let's get back to the show. And then JR with Dustin and Barry. So we had two interviews. One was in the control center. And in the control center, Dustin was about to talk, but Barry's like, nope, I'm talking because, you know, he's the leader of the team. And then in this interview, JR is basically saying, what's going on with you guys? Like, what, you know, why are you guys fighting? And Barry says, interestingly, he starts to he starts to use the word controversy a lot. There's always controversy. I don't know if he really meant to use that word specifically, but he was basically trying to say that every good team, every, you know, good baseball team, every good football team, there's always something going on in the locker room that that's cause for controversy. And so that was his excuse and you know, Dustin Dustin's basically like yeah, you know, we fight. We, sometimes we don't get along, but at the end of the day, we're the champs, and we can prove it. And you know, we're gonna we're gonna be there. So that that's kind of where they're going here. But uh, I just didn't like um, I, the thing that I didn't like is that, like, clearly, like, clearly, Jr. as the broadcast journalist, he's the eyes, he's the ears. He's like, dude. I saw you just slap this dude in the face. What's going on? And it's like, ah, JR, you know, ah, it's nothing. Like, it, I just, like, <laughs> JR was so fired up that I thought he, they should have gave him a little bit more, or at least he should have fired up again and just been like, no, I watched it, you know, like it was just kind of one of those things. Cause we all watched. I was like, what are you talking about, and, dude? You yeah. slapped this dude right in the face. I wish, I wish instead of doing the old, like, I'm not going to talk about that. You know, we teams fight all the time. I'm going to talk about our opponents at Holly Havoc, right? We're, you know, I think it would be nice if Barry did explain himself here. And he could have done it in a way where, like, this is why I didn't show up for the match. I was upset. I told Dustin that, you know, you know, we don't need to rush into matches that are not needed. We didn't need to have to wrestle. We didn't need to put these tactic tiles online against Pillman and Austin. You did. I was frustrated. I wanted to show you, hey, I'm still the boss here. I'm the veteran. Need to listen to me. And yeah, sure, we got a little heated, but you know, he, you know, just. But Dustin realizes I'm the. Um, he needs to stick by me. He needs to under, listen to me or something like that. Just kind of explain it real quick. And Dustin be like, yeah, you know, that was, you know, I was kind of you know, overstepped my bounds, you know, and, and you know, I apologize for that. But uh, you know, things did get heated with us, but we're good now. Yeah, you know, something quick to kind of, you know, and then they can. Go off. I just remember, like I said last week, I was just being really upset that all of a sudden they start, they're already having issues and they just won the tag titles because I really like this team. All right. So, um, 
the next match is Rick Rude and Tommy Angel. So this is the one where I was saying that. It, I mean, went, went a little long. Rick actually hits a pretty sweet pile driver before he does his uh, Rude Awakening. Um, I, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess part of the reason to have this long match is so that JR could sort of tell all of these stories as well. Because, mm. you know, he, he that's what he does really well. He's excellent at it. But I just sat there watching, like, in my world, in my reality of what pro wrestling is... Rick Rude runs through this guy in a minute and a half and poses and flexes and 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 you know cuts a promo and I was like, what is that coming? That's what I want to see. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a little respect for Tommy Angels. He's a he's a he's a good good worker. He's always been a quality job guy and um, always has decent matches. I think also too, I remember Watts in his book explained about Rick Rude how Rick Rude would eat people alive too much, right? As a heel, he didn't really bump around. I mean, he did bump around but he felt he ate a lot of guys up so maybe this was his way of like because he gave tommy angels a, a little hope a little hope a little roll up a little quick roll up there for uh for uh well, i think maybe one half count but um so maybe or maybe he just respected tommy angels you know and he wanted to give him the guy something and also maybe they needed some time for yeah. like you said jim ross tell story so i liked it because i like tommy angels i was he's one of my one of my guys like job guys I like to see out there so that was pr- pretty good all right, so then we have uh, the announcement. So you got Bill Watts. He's got he's got this announcement. Rick Rude is like, oh, I know why you want to talk to me. It's because you want to know who I'm going to pick for the referee on on my side against Chono. And Bill's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I want to hear about that. But you know, as long as long as it as it fits whatever the rules is, I don't really care. But here's this other thing, which is. Are you still managed by Polly Dangerously? And Rude's like, hmm, yeah, I, I guess. And he's like, no, because, you know, are, are you? And he's like, yeah, you could say that. He's like, bam, here's the contract. Polly signed you up to face Nikita Koloff at Halloween Havoc. So not only do you have one match against Chono, but now you get to face Koloff and you don't have Medusa at your side. So Rick got jacked in this thing, man. Poor guy. Yeah, I think this is the started the whole Paul Heyman or Paul e. Dangerously and Medusa feud. And um, I think it should have been explained a little better. Maybe like, you know, like being Bill Watts, maybe doesn't want to put himself in this position, but saying like, you know, I was going through my office and there's a, you know, there's a pile of paper like there always is. And I'm going through issues and, and fines and, and other stuff. And then I came around this contract that your manager signed for you a while back, an open contract for Halloween Havoc. It's valid, and, you know, Nikita Cole signed it. You know, just something like, the, you know, kind of like, kind of make a little more, a little more reality to it. But I remember thinking like, oh, man, this is, I didn't remember thinking this was weird when I was a kid. Like, he's wrestled twice. Yeah. So, um, but Rick Rude, I think, was great in the segment. Played off really well. So, um they they do have a thing. We can actually talk about this now. It happens a, a couple of segments after, but uh, Tony Schiavone, who hosts a segment, is it called Up Close? I think so. Yeah, Roy, Roy Firestone didn't have a problem with this. No, no, no. They was he was. Come on, man. Roy Firestone was the man. He was. I remember Up Close. I used um, to watch all the time. So uh, yeah, f- a few segments down the line. Up close with with Tony Schiavone, Paulie Dangerously, and 
you know, Tony kind of hits him with, with these questions, which is like, dude, like this is your guy. And, you know, you sign him up for this match. Like that's not what a manager would do. And he's like, ah, you know, Rude has it. I believe in him. And then it sort of becomes about Medusa. Like, you know, Medusa's not there. Does she think that she needs to be there? Is she the one about his success? So I'm assuming that's the, the, the tiff without really remembering and without fast forwarding, but maybe it's between him and Medusa. Uh, but yeah, this, this, this still didn't make any sense because, you know, your entire job as a heel manager is to take shortcuts for your guy so he wins, not to put the odds against him <laughs> as, as you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I think this was, this is a weird segment, but probably so entertaining. And now I'm watching this segment and I'm thinking, God, look at Tony. So great in these segments. At these, at these, but now, and then now he's being treated like a doofus in AEW. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, this is okay. I'm not really, I was never really, I never really, I thought the whole, like, uh, I guess what, uh, this, the, the dissolve the dissolving of the dangerous alliance just didn't really like all it just happened mm-hmm. like out of blue it seemed like right after clash 20 all of a sudden they're or they're going their separate ways and and he's saying like hey Heyman's saying i still have austin's option on his contract i still mm-hmm. have arn and bobby's option i still have rude's option so he's sort of saying that he can still keep it together but yeah yeah it's it's this is one. This is one of my favorite. Sit down with Tony. It wasn't my favorite one. All right. So the aforementioned Tony Atlas against Larry Santo. He wins with a full Nelson. Not doing a whole lot in this Can't match. Can't do a whole lot. Can't do a whole lot. Uh, does, will will not allow the referee to raise his hand. Yeah. Uh, Cactus is uh, Cactus is still there with him. And then we get the control center, and again, the the interview, it's like Barry and Dustin, and I'm like, I literally saw Jim Ross talk to these dudes 30 minutes ago. Why am I watching this interview again where it's almost like he's never talked to them before? Like we said, this control center is on every show, but it's like, can't you know, they need to... They, they That's the stuff that when I was a kid, and because I watched all of the shows, I'm sure like you did, mm-hmm. I was like, did they... They knew that they were this part was going to be there. Like, why do they keep, you know, why why would why do they do that from the? It's called the control center. Like, they need to be in more control with their with their bits. And it was like the shorter version of the interview they just did. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, and then so the only the one match that uh, I think maybe there's two matches that I, I'm not sure if they promoted prior. Steamboat against Flying Brian, and then there's a six man with Z Man. Is it who is it? Johnny Gunn? Yeah, that's uh, Tom Brandy, Salvatore Sincere, etc. And Shane Douglas versus Arn, Bobby, and PS Hayes. Um, interesting because I didn't. I I thought PS Hayes was done. So yeah, but he's. I remember he doing this. They did a six man tag match. I remember that. Yeah. All right. So then we had uh, Ron Simmons interview. He's basically saying, you know, Barbarian. You're doing all this training. You're looking great, but guess what? I have pride. That's why I'm going to win. That's that was literally his promo was that he has pride, just like these people. <laughs> Eric Watts and Mike Thor, um, Half Nelson and Leg Grapevine is what Jim called the finish. You would have thought was it that an Oklahoma roll? 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm repeating what J- I'm writing down exactly what Jr. is calling these moves. You would think he called Oklahoma roll because this was an Oklahoma roll. Yeah, uh, and then um, you know I, you would think that you're trying to build up Eric Watts. Can we give him a, like a, a a finisher, like a finisher finisher that the you know that the really good baby faces had? But then I'm, I also wondered. They Is do. this like a young boy thing, like in Japan, where you can't, you don't get those moves sort of until you earn them or something? I didn't, I don't know if that was the case. He does, like, he does get a finisher. Well, I mean, he eventually gets it, but you know, it's like this is, uh, I don't know, this is the second TV match on WCW Saturday Night. Like, I would have expected him to get something a little bit more impressive because yeah, even he, his eventual finisher is a submission hold. It's not like this. You know, it's not like the Stinger Splash, or it's not like the Frankensteiner, or yeah. oh, well, the Bulldog. Gonna, yeah, he's, uh, it's not flashy, right? So, uh, but his first match with the future Henry Godwin, he won with like a fireman's take, takeover slam. And then here he wins with the Oklahoma roll. So, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, Watts, I mean, Watts, Ross was getting over his amateur credentials, so maybe they wanted to show that, oh, you know, he has wrestling skill, so... Um, all right. So then uh, we see Mick Foley breaking a two by four over Barbarian's back and Barbarian does a big foot through the pumpkin. So that's uh, continually to hype up Barbarian. And then we get an interview with uh, Vinny Vegas and DDP. And then we get more Halloween Havoc lineups like they just repeat the thing again. And then we get Marcus Alexander Bagwell against Vinny Vegas in a match, which was a match. Uh, I, I liked Bagwell's comeback. I knew he was not going to win this match, but I liked his comeback. DDP gets on the apron. Bagwell pays attention to him. It's a drop kick. And in doing so, he has to turn around and eat a soft shoulder block. Is that what you would call that move? Because Nash did not run through him. He kind of like dove and love tapped him with his shoulder block. I thought it was match. good. You didn't like it? I thought Smash was pretty I, I didn't like it live. It looked a little bit better in the um when they did the the replay in slow motion, they had a little bit of a different angle. Maybe it was the angle that I but it, it was it was almost like you know, like when you see uh you know, when you'd see Dr. Death get down in the three point stances like run through somebody. Like this was like if if Dr. Death did that and walked through it like that was this like was the like, speed of it this was a seven foot spear he just doesn't need, he doesn't yeah, need it, much behind him now yeah but like he did, he almost didn't he almost like i maybe he hadn't really trained i don't know it was, it was almost like he was apprehensive in doing it a little I mean, he said he did that move a lot so um i thought this match overall was pretty good i liked the the story they told and i thought they worked well together and um Overall, I thought it was a good, really good TV match. My favorite part of the match, which cracked me the hell up, is that after the match, when you know they're the Vinny v- uh, Vegas Connection celebrating the victory, and Dallas Page goes, he says, "We got the one, two, three, and he's using his hand as signals. Well, number one was the old birdie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then, so. Yeah, he uh, that was on that that was on TBS. The old the old flipping the bird by <laughs> Dallas Page. <laughs> That's not the same guy that I see in my uh, iPad every day when I do DDP yoga. Different guy. Oh, come on. Yeah. No, that was it. Was yeah. I know. This is I just I couldn't. I'm like, did I just see him flip off? 
me. So I'm going to go back and check it out. Sure enough, there he is flipping the bird on WTBS. And then we get like the weirdest thing, unless you had been watching the other TV. So if you're only watching WCW Saturday Night, all of a sudden you're like, what the hell happened? Where did Rick Steiner go? Uh, Scott Steiner is accepting this match with Bagwell against the Hollywood Blondes. Um, uh, And then they have this match and Arn beats up Bagwell, runs him into the post. So he's out. Steiner's trying to tag out, doesn't see that he's knocked out. When he finally comes up, Steiner beats him up. He's getting really mad. So I'm assuming, okay, this is a Scott Steiner heel turn. Has a one-on-one match with Steamboat. Steamboat's playing total baby face. Like, I'm going to let you in. Let's have this, like, really... uh, Let's have this smart wrestling match. We're both good guys. You know, no hijinks. And then when when it's opportune... And when the opportunity arises for Steamboat, he kind of cradles... He cradles or packages uh, Steamboat quickly to win the match. And he wins the TV title. So I'm thinking, uh uh-oh. Like, here comes badass heel scott steiner and then he wrestles steve austin who's a heel and he kind of wrestles most of the match as a baby face he did mess the baby face and so i was so confused watching this whole thing yeah i think it maybe been a slow thing with scott or a hail mary with scott too because they have contract issues coming up and maybe he thought he could keep scott around as a tv champion but of course it didn't work out that way I remember being totally like shocked when I saw this because I was like, "Wait, what? Steve, Scott Steiner beat Steamboat for the TV title?" And what's weird is like this happened two weeks ago, right? When he, the, the the turn on Marcus, and then a week ago, he won the TV title. But last week, they never mentioned it on TV unless it worldwide happened later after WWE Saturday Night, or maybe it happened at, you know, I know Worldwide was syndicated, maybe it happened, you know, but I think it aired different areas, different times, right? So, I don't know. It was bizarre to me. I remember, you know, back then I thought it was cool, though. I'm like, oh, wow, he's a TV champion. And then I was so happy about this match until they have this match. And it was a match was fine, but it wasn't the old classic UWF, let's end it with action and we're going off the air. We're out of time. It was like, they were just wrestling holds. I think they're out of time. So very bizarre way to end this show. Yeah. It was weird because we had just seen, I don't know how many weeks ago they did go to the end of the show and they just rang the bell because mm-hmm. they're like, this is the end of the show time limit. So I assume that's where we're going, but I was looking at my little meter on the, uh, on the um, my iPad when I was watching the show, and I was like, wait, there's like 13 seconds left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's like an arm bar going on or something, you know? Yeah. And I was like, what's going on here? And then JR just like does to me like what he and or what Tony Schiavone and uh, and David Crockett used to do to me when I was 10 years old and just say, oh, we don't, we're, we're out of time. See you later. Like, I just. But usually felt, it's like some hot action is when they're going off the I air. I just felt right? so ripped ripped off yeah 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 i i was like i didn't remember the way it went off the air i thought it was like disqualification for some reason i was thinking that's gonna happen or some kind of weird for sure it was weird all right <laughs> not no good, good weird where you want to see future matches it's just like it was like they had a long match but they couldn't fit it on the tv and why don't they just take a couple things off they could have took off uh freaking tony Alice versus larry santo you know they could have took off even eric watts is match you know whatever 
So yeah, so we are one one more WCW Saturday night, and then the pay per view. So we'll have to figure out how we're going to cover that because oh man, that's a lot of hours. So yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. Maybe uh, maybe we can we can do something creative there. But uh, yeah, maybe we do a show with Justin, have him jump on and watch all the havoc with the yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, you know, there's tons of people who want it who. are kind of I wouldn't say tons. I know there's a handful of people in our group who are watching WCW Saturday Night with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our, our buddy Robert Silva tweets us every time he watches, so I know he's watching. Yeah. So that so that's uh, that that'll be fun. And uh, well, yeah, we'll figure something out. I, I wonder if we, you know, that that would actually be kind of like a fun Zoom thing. You know, like like with people who were who were catching up, and maybe we don't talk about it on the next episode, but maybe we put something on YouTube or something at some point. I don't know. We'll see. Who knows? Cause it's not, not, not as much time as you would think during a yeah. pandemic to do all this stuff. All right, man. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's just cut it off here, but show's not over because we have Justin, the aforementioned Justin, we have Carlos Toro, and, uh, they're going to take us home with the last, technically the last episode of the G one cast, but, you never know, because I think Justin has some interesting ideas of, of possibly either extending that or doing a, a couple of more shows or even kind of changing it up and maybe doing a different show. But all of that, we'll, we'll kind of let people know about that. But uh, let's send it to Justin Nipper. Right, hello, hello, it's Justin, and you're listening to the G1 Cast presented by FightGameMedia.com. We did it. We have made it. We have arrived. And it's finished. Kota Ibushi has won his second G1 Climax tournament. He beat Sanada last night in what, according to our guest today, Chris Samza, called the longest match in G1 history, the longest match of all time, just an f- inch ahead of the Tanahashi-Ibushi match from two years ago. We're going to talk more about that and more stats talk with Chris Samza in a few, but today we mostly talk the main event, and we don't touch on the other aspects of the show. Carlos and I are going to reconvene later sometime this week or next to give you guys the uh, the epilogue to G1 Climax 30. But as for now, I say that's enough. Let's just get straight to our interview with Chris Samsa. All right, we're back with Carlos and a very, very special guest, as promised, from sportofprowrestling.com, voicesofwrestling.com. We have the one and only Chris Samza, the Super Stats Man. What's up, Chris? How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, we're, so we're all awake. We've survived G1. How are you feeling? Are you, are you in a good condition right now? <laughs> um yeah no i'm good i'm energized by this stuff i mean i love the end of end of a good tournament so and i think the main event tonight was awesome and um you know anyone 
if you've paid attention to my preview shows, anything I did, I think I talked about with Garrett, even on this feed, um, you know, Abushi's my guy. So I was, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes with him. Yeah. So let's get your thoughts on the main event last night. So Sanada and Ibushi were in the G1 finals and Ibushi won in what was, I believe, I think it was you who posted this. It was the longest G1 match of all time. Yep. The longest G1 match of all time by 12 seconds, um, <laughs> 12 seconds longer than Ibushi's loss to Hiroshi Tanahashi in 2018. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it didn't feel like a match. I mean, to me, it didn't feel like a match that had gone 35 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, and I know that. Yeah, I mean, that that was my feel on it. When I heard the 30 minute call, I was like, wait, what? Um, I was really, really kind of surprised by that, especially because the pa- the pacing of the match wasn't all that engaging, but it but it was in a, in its own way, and I think that that speaks to just the level of talent that was in that ring, and and the the level that you put a G one climax final right, like these are this is a big match that you only get this particular match once a year. Like you can compare it to IWGP Championship matches or any big championship match from any of the big companies. Right. But like the G one is the end of the most grueling tournament and it's put on a pedestal in a way that nothing else can be. So when you finally get to that final, yeah, of course it, it, it's likely that it's not going to feel like it goes long because there's drama in just in being in that match. So I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Carlos, was this all that you expected it to be the main event? Were you satisfied? And for the most part, I would say yes. I thought this match was really, really good. The the last five minutes of the match was about as dramatic as one could hope it would be. Uh, I got the, some of the near falls in this one. Like we talk about Sonata being so good in his matches at having the two point nine nine near falls. There were a couple of them that were just absolute nail biters. Like I thought. I thought for sure, at least with the when she hit the, I guess, second to last Kamigoye, I thought that Sonata was not going to kick out of that one. And it got really, really close. There were even a, like a moment where I thought, yeah, Ibushi won, won that one with the Kamigoye. And there were even a point earlier when Sonata, I think it was with the Moonsault, where he also got a two, like a 2.9 count, which... I, as a big Sonata fan myself and one who was really rooting for him throughout this entire G1, I thought for sure Sonata actually got that one. But it kind of, I don't know about you guys, but the moment I saw Masahiro Chono, who was one of the other, one of the three men, including Ibushi now, to have won multiple G1 tournaments, it did kind of feel like the moment I saw Chono, I was like, yeah, they're going to, yeah, Ibushi's going to win this one. There's no way they they're not going to do that whole Ibushi winning two straight and connected to, to Masahiro Chono who won two straight. Did, did, did it kind of feel um, Chris and Justin, did it kind of feel like Chono being there not gave away the result, but it kind of gave you a stronger feeling that Ibushi was going to win. I mean, it, it, it did feel a little bit like a tell, um, but it also felt a little bit like a red herring, right? Like Chono's here. Ibushi wants to match Chono as, as this guy who's had two G1 climax wins in a row. And 
you know, maybe he, maybe he wasn't going to, that wasn't going to be his lane. That wasn't going to be his big moment. So I think that, um, I always expect things in professional wrestling to be that kind of a red herring, right. And Chono is going to be like, yeah, it's still G one still my thing. It's always going to be Chono's tournament, right? Like it's going to be hard for anyone to, um, to even come close to what Chono has, has done overall, but just to be one of the two guys that goes back to back or one, sorry, three guys, Tenzan also did it. So I guess if they had trotted Tenzan out there for another, you know, another time on the night, that would have been a, a real tell. Um, but no, I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel especially that way. It did kind of, it might've balanced things out a little bit. Cause I, I honestly thought this was a Sonata win coming in. Really? I actually thought Ibushi was going to win. And I actually had picked Sonata even before the B block was over. I actually thought Sonata was going to advance to the G1 finals, but I thought Ibushi at the end of fall was going to be the one that's interesting hearing someone who actually th- that thought Sonata was going to win because I really wanted him to win the G1. We always bet against your own guys, right? So uh, Ibushi's my guy. I bet against him last year too because um, I thought that was just going to be Jay White's year and they were going to go forward that way. So I, I will, it, you know, we did the fight game uh, pickums, and I think I picked Ibushi to win like twice um, because we were picking as we as we go. So we didn't have to pick the whole tournament. So as the tournament goes on, I feel like, oh, well, they got to they gotta knock Ibushi out. They got to knock Ibushi out. And then they just never did. And that, that's kind of the weird story about this whole tournament too, right? Like Ibushi didn't have this really big surge like Sonata did. Sonata ended on six wins in a row. Ibushi just really quietly stayed in it and then backed his way into the final and won. So that's kind of a new story for a G1 as well. Briefly in the post-match promo, um, for I, I for some reason I expected uh, a kind of similar G1 to last year as far as maybe some interference or chicanery outside the ring. But compared with last year, Sanada and Ibushi was quite a clean match. It was just a straight match. It had Chono to add the prestige to it. You know, he came out and he didn't say anything too uh, wild. It was just it, it kind of just made the match more prestigious feeling. And, but I have to say, yes, yeah, so Jay White was involved and it looks like Ibushi and Jay White um, have something going on for Power Struggle coming up. But going back to the match, while I think this was a great match and especially the last five minutes, there were some great, great near falls like Carlos was talking about. There was one where it, it sounded and almost looked like a three, but it wasn't a three count. It was very, very close. So that was exciting. Although I have to say, I can't see, I don't think I can rate this among even the top five best matches of the G1. Like while it was very good, I can't compare this in quality to, let's say like Okada Takagi, Suzuki Ibushi, many, many of Ishii's matches. Even, I think I preferred Ishii to Jay White a few nights ago, but for, um, as, as, where does this match stand among all the other matches that you saw over this tournament? Does it rank as one of your favorites of the tournament? Chris, how about let's start you? you. So I'm not like a matches rating guy hmm. usually. Um, and so, cause 
that, I mean, that's just really not my lane. I'm not, I'm, I've never been a star rating guy. I pay attention to everybody's star ratings. Right. And I learn from them and I, I get recommendations from them, but I don't track that way. So like when it comes to doing like a end of the year match of the year list, I just think of what I remembered. Um, and if I don't remember a match, it's probably wasn't that good. But so with that said, the stakes of this match, put it high on my list. Right. I, I mean, the stakes as you go into the G1 get higher and higher and higher. So as as that happens, I do tend to remember matches more. But yeah, I mean, the, those last five minutes, I mean, that's what makes a match for me anyway, because that's the real drama. And when Sonata hit that O'Connor roll and Ibushi kicked out on like, I mean, if you didn't, if you, if you couldn't see red shoes, you would have thought that was three. Um, but it, it wasn't, right? So... Um, that was huge. And from that moment on, I figured either one of these guys can win. And so that's the other, that's the other trigger for me is like, if both guys can win, it's going to be a great match. If, if you can't kind of, if there's no tell of where things are going. So, uh, you know, I liked it a lot. I, you know, I don't know that I liked it a lot in the moment, but thinking back on it, I was like, man, that was, that was really good actually. Carlos, where would you, uh, just in terms of personal enjoyment over all these 90 matches that we watched over the past couple of weeks, would you rank this among the top that, that you've uh, enjoyed the most? I'll say this. I thought this was a really good match and I really enjoyed it. But in some regards, now that you kind of mentioned it, Justin, it there were parts of it, like the first two thirds of the match, it I don't, I don't want to say like it was going through the motions, but it did, it didn't carry that, I guess that, that energy that I kind of would have expected out of a G1 final. And, and I thought, and, and I'm not saying that the first two thirds of the match were bad, not at all. And both guys were doing very well. And there were a lot of different wrestling styles, a lot of, you know, different forms that both of the guys were, you know, were using, you know, they were going early on, they were going, I guess, more of a technical route. Then they started to trading strikes. I mean, Justin, I remember you talking about uh, on Twitter, I think you were referring to that. There was essentially like a better figure for, I guess, a figure eight than, uh, than I think he locked on. I don't know if it was an exactly like a figure four, but he he did the, the, the figure eight, type deal where he used his hands to elevate his hips and uh, press down on that leverage, just like Charlotte Flair does. He's doing a little Charlotte Flair action. Okay. You know, bust out the big guns in the G1. And okay. So Sonata, I don't think of him as much of like, uh, you know, Mr. Charisma. He's kind of Mr. Cool, but he was as charismatic as he will ever get. I mean, it's it's maybe like 20% compared to a lot of other people, but you know, he was gesturing to the crowd. He was using uh, a lot more of of his face for expressing how he felt more than usual. And that you could tell that the crowd, even though it's not even a full capacity crowd, they were feeding off that. And then for some reason, I think Sanada, he really connects in Japan a lot more, more so than other countries. He's popular everywhere, but he really connects in Japan. And yeah, and I think that, I gotta be honest. And as far as like the drama, this match got really dramatic towards the end, but I actually kind of felt that the match against evil was just as dramatic towards the end, if not even more. And I thought that it was a, 
a, I guess, a more satisfying conclusion given, you know, the Hiromu Takahashi involvement and Hicks super kicking Dick Togo and appearing, you know, towards the end of the match and sort of helping Sonata get that win over Evil to advance to the G1 finals. I thought that I kind of felt like there was a more personal enjoyment over the conclusion of that match over this one. But, you know, but I like how I really, really liked how the Kamigoye just one wasn't enough to take away Sonata. I thought that this certainly made Sonata look strong, even in defeat. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I still look at this as a roaring success for Sonata because we, we've talked about this a number of times throughout this month. Sonata, when it comes to the G1 win-loss records, he's always been pretty pedestrian. He's always coming out with four wins and five losses in every tournament or or the release with eight points, which is which, which is funny because and, and I got to thank Chris for for kind of forcing me to be more stat oriented for the last month. Cause I did not know about Sonata and him being Mr. Eight points and G one for the last him and, five him years. Him and Toriano. I mean, like that's the level he's at when it comes to, when you look at the last standings, right? So, I mean, this is a huge elevation for him in regards to being a tournament wrestler. I mean, obviously he's had really good performance in the new Japan cup too, but this is, this is big. I think we can, we can expect more from Sonata in a, in the next couple of G ones as well. I mean, once you get into the final, it, it kind of makes you right. And it makes, it puts a target on your back and that actually gives you more opportunities to get some big wins. So um, yeah, I, I think the tournament really did make Sonata. I think being in the final made Sonata, I think it's a really tough situation to be there with a crowd uh, specifically at Rio Goku. They only ran 30% capacity, which is, I mean, that's tough in a big room like that. Um, and you, you've got a lot of space just based on how seating works at, at Rio Goku. So I, Sonata was the one of Sonata and Ibushi to really try to get the crowd into the match. He engaged with the crowd, which was, I think, a, a really good thing to see. Ibushi didn't do a ton of that, but he does that with his, his kind of verbal emoting. He'll scream and yell and things of the sort. All right, let's take our final break, and I will get you right back to the final G1 cast of 2020. But of course, we have to talk about our friends at Bet Online. My 49ers were at home and an underdog. Now, we know that in, in the COVID era, COVID-19 era, home, home field advantage doesn't quite mean as well because there's there's no fans. But my 49ers were a underdog at home against the LA Rams. And not only did the Niners cover that spread, but they actually won the game. So if you had this premonition that the 49ers led by one handsome Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle, uh, if you thought that they were going to win this game and and you, you know, you, you had a couple of dollars in your pocket, probably would have been a good idea to, to go to bet online and put a little scratch on the Niners there. I'm sure... You know, with that spread uh, and, and whatever the odds were on the money line, you might have made a, a few dollars tonight. So, you know, check it out. Every Sunday, there's football games. The World Series is about to start. You have the Tampa Bay Rays against. 
the the, the real evil the, the the you know the Yankees are the evil empire but the Dodgers to me are, are, are the true evil empire against those Dodgers you know that they're back in the World Series again we'll see if they can if they can do something third time it may be a charm for them in the, in this wonky season but you know those sports are still going and and football is is, is going to go for the entire fall into the winter but baseball's almost done so if you have any you know any bets with with the World Series? You got to jump on BetOnline.ag to uh, to take advantage of that. So obviously, you've heard me say this probably literally a hundred times now, but I, I'm going to repeat it because you know in order to to lay down those bets, you got to head to BetOnline today. You need to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. You got to use the promo code BlueWire. You got to make sure. You go into your web browser and type in betonline.ag, and then the promo code is BlueWire. So head over there, hit up BetOnline. They are your online sports book experts. So let's get to the stats. Let's talk stats because that's that's you, Chris. You're the super stats man. We were talking a little bit before <laughs> the show. Carlos, you had some kind of questions and thoughts on stats and applying them to G1 this year. Let's let's get right into that. Carlos, what let's talk bring up what we were talking about earlier. So, Chris, I I, I really love that that year because I've always been curious. So, obviously when you're looking at at, at matches, you know, how is it different kind of looking at things when you're analyzing, you know, New Japan from a stats uh, from a stat oriented standpoint compared to just looking at things as, as a fan. Cause I never, cause some of the stats that I, that I look at that you put out there is just incredible. And I'll be honest, there was a part of me that actually kind of based my, my predictions that I, that I say on this show, just around some of the stats that you've put out. So how different is it looking at new Japan from the stats compared to how you look at it as like a casual fan. Well, so I think I, I really started looking at the stats because I wanted the stats to line up with what was actually happening. And when it comes down to it, like new Japan's the closest of at least the big wrestling companies that, that line up that way. So, and, and a lot of that comes back to the fact that they do kind of a lot of tournaments, everything leads to wrestle kingdom. So it's kind of an annual um, it's kind of an annual calendar, right? And everything, everything kind of lines itself up that way. So that lends itself to the, the having parameters around the statistics, which I think helps. Right. But then, you know, when it comes to things like total match time and, and things like that, a lot of those are indicators of business too. Right. So someone who's in the ring for a really long time, that's the guy that they want on the screens and in front of the fans. Right. So Naito this year, three hours, 27 minutes and 41 seconds, a, a G1 record in a, in a tournament with no really varying undercard, right? You've just got that young lions match and you know, that's going to go between seven and maybe every now and then you're going to rock that 15 minute draw. Right. Um, that's, you know, Naito turns into the guy that gets in front of the fans most often and for the most amount of time. So 14.35% of their, uh, of the B blocks, ring time was Tetsuya Naito. So those things I like to, you know, I, I, I mostly look at it in the sense of like the sports side of things, especially because of my contribution to the broadcast team. But like when I look at it from a business perspective too, those things are indicators of who they're going with. 
So in addition to match time, what do you think is a stat that you're keeping track of that can really rate or gauge uh, a wrestler's value? And value, I mean, imagine I'm recruiting somebody for a company and I need to know who who's going to draw the most people, draw the most eyeballs. Do you think something like the stat you're talking about, match time or something else, is valuable in a real life kind of way and not necessarily just a sport way, but also um, I don't know exactly how you can call it or prove it. It's kind of connected to entertainment and being able to draw like a stat to gauge drawing at a live event, I suppose. Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about stats and connecting them with the wrestler's value? Is it valuable? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's a dotted line because like I said, I think if, if you're putting someone in the ring and they're in and that's consistent, right? You've got three, four, five years tracking and you're you're close to the top of say most singles matches or most main events, um, you you gotta figure that that's going to track towards drawing. And otherwise companies the, the company that you're currently with is gonna pivot. So when you see a guy like Naito or Okada or even Will Ospreay last year really getting that all that ring time and and getting in front of fans that often i think that's something that indicates that um they can do that long term hopefully you don't usually see that for just one year i mean osprey's situation is probably a little bit unique he had 33 singles matches last year and then this year he is only only a few really just the g1 plus two so but that's pandemic and all that so that's tough but i think we're seeing you know the fruits of will osprey's um you know push last year now now that we've done the big heel turn because they established him last year so the other thing that i i track and look at is like different falls so wrestlers who have a better blend of of pins and submissions and can take better blend of pins and submissions and not lose kind of their spot um, I think that's really interesting too, because specifically in New Japan, like submissions aren't put that high on a pedestal. But if you look at like Kazuchika Okada over the course of this tournament, using a submission hold, a whole different thing for him. He's creating a little bit more probably longevity for himself because it's less of an impact. Um, it's less of an impact uh, style. So, you know, a guy like Zack Sabre Jr. has probably the best blend, um, him and Sonata for that matter. So these guys probably have longevity on their side. So when you, uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, your contributions to the to the English broadcasting, which, by the way, I, I love that during tonight's show, they were they were really putting you over uh, towards the end of the broadcast, which I was really, really happy. How did that kind of start with you helping out Kevin Kelly and, and, you know, and the rest of the broadcast team when it comes to providing them with, with the staffs? How did that all come uh, about? So last year's G1, I just kind of started doing it at a much like lighter scale than this. And Kevin reached out to me and he's like, Hey, like, is this something that you're going to keep up on? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll keep up on it. I'll send it right to you. Like, you know, like, yeah, like, so since then, really anything, it's, it's just grown. It's grown from there. Um, I think I've become a reliable source for them. 
And, um, you know, my, my relationship with those guys has grown and, and I've gotten to know, you know, them on, at least on a, a you know, on a business level and, and we just kind of work together. And, and if I've got something, I, I fire it over their way. If I think it's really good, usually they do too. So I, you know, we've kind of figured out what makes the most sense and what contributes, um, in their particular role too, like really kind of connecting the wrestlers to the fans in a way that is, that makes sense to people who may not be paying super close attention, but if you give them a little factor, a little nugget that is familiar because they're probably sports fans, at least on a, you know, at least on a low level, they understand wins, losses, you know, um, competitiveness. So the more things that I can kind of bring into the fold, um, then I like, I like to do that. So, um, you know, my notes for the G1 got longer and longer as the G1 went on. Um, but I mean, really how I started doing it, I just, I just kind of started doing it and I was like, this is really fun. So I just kept doing it. And now it's, I mean, it's kind of a job. So what are the, you know, you, you mentioned obviously stats and you kind of try to see what is the one that, you know, the broadcast team and the fans will, will certainly captive, you know, be attracted to the most. How do you sort of gauge you know, when you're looking at a particular match, how do you gauge, you know, what certain stats probably matter or, or at the very least are probably the most interesting from a viewer standpoint, as opposed to just, you know, finding random little tidbits and just kind of hoping like that, that's, that'll be considered a good stat. Um, I mean, a lot of that comes from just prior knowledge because uh, things I remember that like I kind of explored earlier. And if I dig a little deeper then then they'll get, clearer or, you know, and there's sometimes I go down a rabbit hole that doesn't provide me anything to, to work with. So, but you know, my, my thing now is I just kind of, I've got so much, so many databases kind of pulled together now that I can look at all this stuff really quickly and stuff just kind of presents itself. So like the Ria Goku, uh, you know, the, the big database that I had to build for this G1 was G1 at Ria Goku because they haven't been there in two years. So I had to, you know, scrape together all of that data and then once that's put together and I see who's kind of got a lot going on there, who, who had spent their time there, I can start to kind of uh, slice it and, and filter it down. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of everything. Every match has its own little story, right? So, and, and my role is to just find little bits and pieces that help tell that story. Now, Chris, I was watching kind of between both the Japanese and English broadcasting and kind of switched back and forth over the weekend. And while there hasn't been much English commentary like live and I haven't caught up on the, the shows that have been dubbed the day after, I do feel a little like the matches when you watch them in English, they're starting to take on the presentation of the product is the makeup of it is a little different. Uh, it's more of a stats-based, sport-based product when you're watching it in English. But if you switch to the Japanese broadcast, it, it's more of a traditional pro wrestling uh, kind of approach. N the stats aren't as big of a deal. It, it's almost conservative to an extent. It's just it, no surprises. No surprises. So um, how do you think going forward, like you were saying, the more data that you get, the more that you can pull the pattern, you can see the pattern because you have the data in front of you, you can visualize it. Do you think with uh, adding the stats to the English broadcast will alter how 
foreign fans watch it or or perceive it or uh, how do you see it kind of splitting off between the broadcast and do you think they'll be have different flavors or or what are your thoughts on that chris yeah see i i don't know um i i try to be careful not to give too much and i know so i know i shouldn't say i kevin kelly is really careful not to um dig too far down that rabbit hole um and i know that this G1 was a little bit different because he wasn't there to um, learn what stories the wrestlers are telling throughout the tournament. He had to just perceive it the same way anybody else would without any commentary. So that I think was a challenge for the broadcast team as a whole, which I think is why, um, you know, potentially things teetered a little bit further towards the history statistics and the history relevance um, because that's, that was the biggest part of the story that we were able to find right now. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the presentation in a sports like way, I think that that's, that may be new Japan's lane in the Western audience um, just because there's so much pro wrestling that is so not that way. So I think that it is kind of the differentiator in that way. But I, I do know that when Kevin's there and experiencing, you know, a big tour altogether, he's got more of those kind of, personal story pieces to, to, to play with. So I think that, you know, really looking at each of the shows in each of the cards really individually was not a great, um, it's not a great way to go about a, a tour and it's really, it was really a challenge, but I think that, uh, the broadcast team as a whole did, did their best to pull it together and, and have enough to talk through to make things captivating. One thing that I don't think we haven't uh, talked about, but was the big announcement during the show that Wrestle Kingdom was going to be a two-day show again, which I think certainly took it took me a little bit by surprise, given the fact that we are in a global pandemic and we don't know how travel is going to be in, in a few months. So I just want to get like get you know both Chris and Justin your thoughts just super quickly on Wrestle Kingdom fifteen being a two-day show. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Chris. You're 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 done for. I forgot to even mention like uh, who was going to uh, who should go first. But yeah, Chris. Sure. I mean, I'm a numbers guy, right? So, and New Japan's in the business of tell, selling tickets. So, if you can only sell half the building, but you can sell half the building twice, it's like you did one event. I mean, yeah, it might cost you. It's going to cost you a little bit more because you got the building for two days and you have to hire people for two days. But if you want to sell X amount of tickets, you know, for me, that's how the math adds up. And I know, you know, you're not going to have foreigners coming in. So that's, you know, a pretty significant chunk of the ticket buyers. So I think that this is just, this is their way of selling enough tickets to justify running the dome um, once. So but what, they're yeah, I was twice. surprised like you, Carlos, I, I thought, okay, one day I, I can see that two days. That's yeah. That's a lot considering we're in the time of COVID, but there's two things like Chris said, it's just going to be more money. They proved it this year. They, the two shows they did earlier this year have more or less saved their asses for the rest of the year, considering what happened. Um, they ended up pulling something total like 70 something, 73. I don't know the exact number, but between the two days, they pulled a lot of people. So business wise, it's smart. Uh, but, um, 
we're in a, a weird time, so it's hard to predict. And it's hard if I was in charge of a business like that, it'd be hard to make those decisions, but they're going for it. It's hard to say what will happen. But another thing is that I noticed that the campaign name is something it's called Go to New Japan. And if you guys listen to our podcast with Fumi Saito on Friday, Carlos, remember when we were talking about the Japanese economic campaign called Go to Travel? We brought it up a little, yeah, we brought it up a little yeah. bit in the show and I, I couldn't help but notice the, the um, similarities in the, what they call the catch copy or the copy uh, ad copy, whatever for these two programs. And what go to travel is, is basically just like an economic incentive program. It's basically saying, Hey, just go travel domestically because we got to get the economy going. But, um, it's, it's a little touchy because there's nothing to say that, uh, this pandemic is over. So some people find it a little touchy. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking into it very deeply, more deeply than other people. So it's not a huge take or anything, but I just found it a little, is it necessary? That's what I thought. It's like, yeah, well, there's the ethical thing about it and there's the, there's the other side of it. But again, we're all in the United States right now and how things are happening in Japan, it's just at a different pace. So that's just how it is. I don't feel like I have a, a straight um, answer on this yet, but um, it's interesting. We'll see what happens. And as far as the booking goes and the content, I'm not sure what we'll see. But we'll definitely see Bushi in some um, main event capacity. But um, I, I kind of look at it against I the part of this says like you can't really do the same double gold down four man tournament like you did last year because the whole point was to get the champions and the briefcase holder to you know to to eventually like unify well not unify but ha- own both belts and since we're already at that point it kind of feels like we may get to a point where hell day one Sonata, um Naito headlines defends the Intercontinental title and night two we see Naito defending the heavyweight title am I a little bit off base on this uh, Chris and then Justin that would be my bet if, if if I had to like put money on it right now. I think that they've they've planted some seeds of Naito wanting to defend the belt separately. He's said that in some backstages. He's said that to the commentary teams. So I think that that may be the direction. And that this is about the time last year. Well, post G one, we started to hear about this double gold situation. So um, they're gonna they'll plant those seeds really briefly in those backstages and i think that i if i had to bet i would bet that naito's defending uh one belt one night and one one belt the next yeah carlos when you started mentioning that this the g1 idea and especially now that sonata's kind of in the picture is maybe a way to break up the double belt idea that factored with naito always talking about how he's not into the idea kayfabe and he that that could be what was going to happen and that could be why sanada was involved too maybe it's something to do with naito maybe he'll do double duty and he'll have two main event type matches we're not sure but um as far as the booking and the creative goes there's a lot of different ways you could go and there's only four months away or maybe less so it's coming up quick we'll see what happens um before we wrap our segment today chris we were talking 
before the show that there's a very interesting stat that you that you found after this G1 that even though that we've been talking, Carlos and I have been talking about this has been as the match cards go, generally the shortest G1 front to back the shows are generally two and a half hours or sometimes even less than that. But the match time, the in-ring time was actually higher than ever. Yeah. Yeah. So last year's G1 had been the longest of all time in regards to total G1 match length. So their match length last year, 22 hours, 59 minutes and 14 seconds. And this year, um, they've surpassed that and they're at 24 hours, 10 minutes and 15 seconds. And and those are equal, um, you know, all things considered, those are equal tournaments because it's the same size blocks, same final, et cetera. So same format, but uh, the ring time significantly longer, actually, by by an hour and 10. So, yeah, this is actually as G1s go, this is the longest of all time. Um, part of that may be because that's all they had, right? They didn't have these kind of varying lengths of their um, their undercards to to work with. But, um, you know, I mean, it didn't feel that way. So I guess this is what it feels like to not watch the undercard tags at all. Um, and I'm kind of into it. So if they come back next year, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. What was, in your opinion, Chris, what was the most interesting stat you pulled from this year's G1? Oh my God. Or some, well, it's something that kind of, you saw and it, it made you go, whoa, I didn't really realize that until I saw it in front of me. I saw the numbers. Well, okay. So I started to, to run uh, some different calculations because I only had one match to look at yesterday. So I started to look at the amount of time a wrestler spent in a winning match versus the amount of time a wrestler spent in a losing match. So the amount of time that Sonata spent in a losing match was just like 20%. And the rest of his 80% or 81% of his, um, his ring time was spent in matches that he ended up winning. So that I thought that, and that was like super low. It, it's all changed now in my document here because I've added in the final. So now he's up to 35%. But as the block matches went, um, to be in only 20% of his, his match time was spent losing. That's a pretty good efficiency to, to keep an eye on too. So, and I had never really looked at things that way, like the totality of wins versus totality of losses. So that was, that was an interesting one for me. I, it didn't get used on broadcast, but I like it, it piqued my interest. It seems that it seems like he's always in the act of selling, selling something from the other opponent. So I think that's a big part of his, I don't know what to call it, like act or formula or, and it's something about Sonata that it's not a negative or a positive. It's just, he's a wrestler that I think is more of a muscle memory dude. And he excels in spots where like last night or in the match with evil towards the end where it's uh guy throws a move and there's a counter and then there's another counter, those kind of really quick exchanges. He really excels in that. And it seems when you when you explain it like that, it seems like he spends a lot of time putting over the other guy as a part of what he does. That's not his deal. So it's a very it's interesting and very important for guys like Carlos and I when we're right. You know, you write a couple articles, but then you start to realize, OK, how can we go a little deeper? How can we peel the onion to the next layer? And I think stats are the answer for that. I think that's the only way because we're in a situation where. Uh, wrestling is a simulation of a, a kind of sort of 
real idea. But the stats, no matter what happens, these are real. Those numbers, they really happened. Those guys were really in the ring for that amount of time. And you can kind of uh, spin your stories using real threads. So... Yeah, I think if you're selective, um, there there are certainly things that pop out that I'm like, that's that doesn't help the story, you know. So I mean, so with that said, like that's not to say that I don't either put those online or, or send those to broadcast, but I, I there are definitely things that I come across that I'm like, that ain't that ain't it, um, which is I mean that's kind of the fun part too that there's anomalies because you can kind of look at that in real sports too, and you're like these things don't add up, but they still end up with the win or they end up you know looking dominant. And it's especially important with Japanese wrestling because we don't speak, it's not, we're not fluent between the languages. It's not uh, something that we can easily just jump right in and out of. So with the stats and the numbers, it's, it's not as um, language based and it's easy to get the information across and tell those interesting stories and learn interesting parts about the, uh, about the business side of it. Or if you want to look at, something specific or someone specific it's a way to extrapolate uh, more deeper information uh using real life so that's cool i think we're gonna wrap soon but carlos is there anything you else that you wanted to ask before we wrap on today's segment um yeah so chris um why are you so awesome <laughs> oh i wouldn't even categorize myself that way, but thank you. <laughs> you really, really caught me off guard with that one. I'm usually really well prepared for these things. <laughs> well, no, no, we really do appreciate you coming on here because, you know, you are someone, especially over the last year who I've started to notice and like, I saw your stats and I'm thought, my God, this is, this is incredible. And when Justin and I were talking about special guests for, you know, towards the end of the G1, you know, your name was among the first that brought up and I was all on board with it because I mean, you bring such a unique different view to watching new Japan pro wrestling from a, you know, from a stat standpoint, which you never see how, I mean, AEW likes to talk themselves up as a more sports oriented pro wrestling company, but it's still nowhere near uh, as good as the way you present new Japan uh, with the numbers and the different stats. I mean, I, I pull together AEW stats too, and they don't really ever get any traction when I, you know, post them. So it, that is kind of interesting. I, I, part of that I think is just the audience too, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm around if AEW wants to chat too. <laughs> if you're listening, you know, Tony Khan, get Chris Ems, uh, uh, on the great Tony O'Karn. Tony O'Karn. listening. Tony O'Karn. <laughs> Chris is available. I love it. Actually, I love it. that's a, this is a great segue because you can find Chris Samza on sportofprowrestling.com. You can find his work and his written pieces on voicesofwrestling.com. What's up to Rich and Joe at Voices of Wrestling? I haven't written for them this year just because everything there has, wasn't wrestling for a long time. So all the writing kind of the schedule, all our schedules kind of changed. Everyone knows that. But what's up, Voices of Wrestling? Chris, is there anything else that you like to talk about or plug before we wrap this no i uh, i appreciate you guys having me on i'm sorry if i'm a little uh less energetic than than usual i it's been a long tournament but um but um <laughs> it, it really has been don't worry about it. i 
I was watching the G1 finals, you know, immediately after watching a, you know, like six, a seven hour boxing card. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you and the, that was a good fight. Yeah. Yeah. The Vasily Lomachenko versus Teofimo Lopez. Pretty good fight. Pretty dr- dramatic uh, towards the end. Yeah. All right. So, and maybe next time, eventually, Chris, maybe you can be in the, the boxing stats community when you when you're <laughs> listen. I got to get a compu box, right? <laughs> right. Oh right. man, the, the guys at compu box are you know just and at a level that I still can't figure out how the hell they manage to track all those punches. I can't even imagine. That's not really my lane either. But man, I love looking at it. I mean, you might have to after that Ibushi and Taichi match. Well, yeah. 75 kicks from from uh ibushi i mean that was that's easy to tally though because it's one it's one maneuver back and forth right right uh, but i mean you can maybe there were low kicks and middle kicks and there were, there were oh. variations of kicks if you want to get uh down and dirty with it nah get out of here i can't <laughs> I I'm, down and, I'm down and dirty with enough other things i cannot get into the the level of the kick that's actually that's how I'm feeling too. Cause we finished. This is it. This is, this is mostly, I think this is the last show, Carlos. We're going to probably come back and wrap up uh, this week. But as far as like the G1 schedule being on the schedule, this is it. This is the first time that we did a front to back daily coverage podcast. And we're so happy to have you as the main event. So hey. thanks, Chris. Thank you guys. Congratulations. You made it. We yeah, we it. finally made it. Uh, we're still alive, and we'll see what the future brings. So I guess on that note, we're going to wrap it up. For Carlos and Chris, I'm Justin. We will see you on the other side.